Sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the Palatial Franklin Estates in the West End of Richmond, where it is uh, Tuesday, December the 20th. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Tuesday, December the 20th. Uh, as we record this show, obviously Virginia playing some basketball late, late, late on Wednesday night uh, means we can't podcast. Although it would have been funny. We could have been done with the podcast before the game actually uh, tipped off. But clearly that's not a good look. Uh, it is Christmas week. So um, Merry Christmas to all of you who celebrate it. Uh, happy holidays to everybody else, whatever, whatever. Uh, let's get into some some stuff. We're going to talk Virginia football recruiting. We're going to talk Virginia basketball as well. Um, on this Christmas week edition of the CavsCorner.com podcast. Out in Fishersville, David Smith is back on the show. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you, Brad. Who Dave's on the board at Who Dave's on Twitter. He tried to say my name again without saying it funny, and he said it funny. Um, uh, Justin Ferber, staff writer of CavsCorner.com, is also back on the show. Welcome back, my friend. All right, glad to be here. Let's get into some stuff. Um, <laughs> at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. I thought he was going to say this some good topics. Uh, you said good stuff, so I just I did, followed I did. up on Cavs stuff. Corner, also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner, great place for in-game updates, content, items, and the occasional witty banter. Um, so, let's start talking about football. Virginia is still looking for a transfer quarterback. Bronco in his, um, um, what did I call it earlier, his gathering with us media folk. Um, last week was very clear that he look he's gonna look for a transfer quarterback. He'd like to find somebody with two years of expl- uh, of eligibility remaining. Um, clearly, not every grad transfer quarterback is going to be uh, in that mold. Um, some guys might have one. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about this uh, among folks on the board, and and what I think is interesting about that is, on the one hand, you, you see Virginia Tech as as Dave said off the air. You see Virginia Tech go out and almost win the ACC with a transfer quarterback. Um, and yet, the, I know folks think, you know, on the board we're talking about, but maybe this felt like desperation. Do you guys get the sense that this is desperation on Broncos' part? I kind of feel like it's like a kind of a feeling of a succession hole where he's going to go into – if he doesn't get anybody, he goes into next season with Kurt Benkirk and then nobody else who has played at all. And he he just wants options. And clearly, after the way 2016 went for for Ben Kirk, I mean, at least I don't know about everybody else, but for me, I I think Virginia needs options, if nothing else, to push Ben Kirk and and, and make him kind of win the job again. What do you guys feel like, Dave? We'll start with you. What how, are you upset about seeing Virginia go after Solomon and and Xander and all these other guys? What, what what's your what's your general vibe on on going looking for a quarterback transfer? Yeah, um, I, I'm pretty sure our quarterback play was not up to snuff this year. Um, turns out it's a pretty important part of the game. Yeah, you know, I don't understand how anyone could view looking as a, at a transfer, you know, as a as a sense of desperation. I mean, it's not. Well, first of all, there, there's a few things. First of all, obviously, we didn't have great quarterback play. Even if we didn't, even if we did, even if we'd said had Matt Schaub's junior year this year yeah and he had one year left you still got a big gap between him and the next guy so what's it hurt to bring in someone to compete um so i mean there's definitely a void there now ideally you'd go out and find a you know a um lamar jackson hanging around but you know that doesn't happen very often if you know very rarely does that happen so i I don't see it as it's as an act of desperation, especially when you've got a hole in the roster, you've got available scholarships to use, you know, in the 85 limit. 
And it's not like if you bring in these guys, you're going to be, trust me, Bron- Broncos not promising they're the starter. Um, they're going to come in and they're going to earn it and cross will have a chance. And, um, Sonny will have a chance. So it's, you know, it's not like those guys don't get a chance to compete. They come out and beat the transfer. They'll win the job. So I, I don't see how you can see it as a act of desperation. I mean, but we were two and 10 and, and what? I don't know how you expect him to sit on his hands because we all expected more than two and 10 this year and you're not going to get it if you don't improve. Yeah. I mean, that's my thing is like when you're two and 10 desperation, I mean, isn't everything desperation? I mean, like you're, you're desperate to get better. Um, I, I just don't see how adding more talent is somehow wrong. Um, if you had a deficiency somewhere else, right? I mean, nobody nobody thinks it's desperation for them to take nine offensive linemen, but everybody keeps talking about like that's a thing that could actually happen. Spoiler alert, they're not going to take nine offensive linemen. Um, Ferber, what do you think? Do you feel like it's desperation? I mean, I, my guess is is you're you're kind of the same boat we are, which is you, you need improved quarterback play. Go out and find somebody if you if you if you need it. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's more of a roster management thing than anything. Uh, I mean, I don't even – we'll see. I mean, if they if they bring in a transfer quarterback, I assume they're probably going to bring in at least one. But, I mean, we don't even know if it's going to be somebody that would be potentially, you know, a challenge to the starting position even. Uh, maybe it's just somebody that, you know, if the worst happens, injury or terrible play or who knows, um, you know, you have somebody there to fill the gap that has, like you said, has played. So – I think that's an important thing. It's more, I think, more from a roster management standpoint, it makes sense. Um, obviously, if your long-term strategy is to go get transfer after transfer after transfer, I think that's kind of problem. Uh, it, could, it could create some problems. And obviously, the quarterbacks that are transferring are usually not the best quarterbacks because if they were the best quarterbacks, they'd probably be playing. Um, so it's kind of a tough spot to be in sometimes if that's – if, if they were going out looking for a starter, I'd be a lot more worried. Um, I guess if you find somebody that's capable of starting, that's great. But um, I, I don't think it's a desperation thing. No. Yeah, I kind of. I mean, there's three. Go ahead, Dave. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I'll say there, there's, you know, there's, there's three obvious deficiencies moving forward to next year. You know, replacing Wilkins at the nose tackle and, and getting deeper on the defensive line. Um, the offensive line, as we all know, and the, and the quarterback spot, you know, not only the quality of starter we get and does, you know, the quality of play we get from that, from the starter in that position, but you know, the plan of, um, secession the next few years, which look, that's something Welsh always had. That's something Beamer had. I mean, you, you know, you remember Welsh, it would be, Oh, well, Sean Moore's going, Oh, here's this Matt Blunden guy who steps in and sets an NCAA record because he didn't play till he was ready. I mean, that's kind of how it works. It's one thing. It's Bronco, Bronco's not going out and looking for transfer cornerbacks or outside linebackers. Um, he's filling the obvious gaps in the roster. Um, now, I don't think he's dumb enough to do it at you know at the sake of development. If if you get a a true freshman or redshirt freshman or or younger offensive lineman that's got ability and can earn a starting spot, he will start. I don't think he's going to lose a year of development because we took a grad transfer in that spot. Um, so you know it's it makes sense when you when you look at the roster as a fan, and look let's be honest, this, times have changed. We talked about this a little bit off air too. I mean, the days of you having four or five years to rebuild a program are gone. And if you think that's not true, look at how we all reacted to this season, despite the way we talked about it going into it. You know, um, you know two and ten, another two and ten year, and the seat's going to get warm at least 
from those of us who have absolutely no pull on what happens. So you can't fault him for trying to find quick fixes because he wants to win. Fans expect him to win. And that's just the way it is. So, you know, I've got absolutely no problem with it. Um, now, it would be great to get a, a young Debrickishaw Ferguson to come in to start left tackle over the next four years, but we don't know if that's going to happen. Well, I, I, two things. One, you, you made it. You made a comment a second ago about they're not going to sacrifice development. You're right. If if they if they if 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 Becton and Nelson come in and they're the better offensive linemen, they'll play. Like you're not talking about promising starting jobs to people. What you're talking about is giving opportunities to people while they also earn uh, a graduate degree from the University of Virginia. Having said that, you also said something, Dave, just a second ago. And I want to pick a bone with it. Um, you you said it's a quick fix, and I don't think of these as quick fix situations. What I do think is that he needs an influx of talent as quickly as possible. But a quick fix to me means, hey, we got to do this real quick, uh, and, and then we'll figure something else out. I, I think he has the something else out figured out, right? He, you take Stone. You're recruiting several 2018 quarterbacks. You, you, you want one in each class. Uh, the problem that he has, and, and look, let's be honest, some of this is not Mike's fault either. Some of this mismanagement, obviously, of the offensive line and numbers and stuff, clearly Mike's fault. The, the piece of having Cutler transfer and, and John's transfer is much about the uh, changing coaches and the losing as it, it was anything else, right? Um, but I don't think it's a quick fix. I think what he's looking for is he's looking for talent that he can put out there, not necessarily looking for a guy to be the guy. I don't think Bronco is the kind of coach who says, this is going to be our starting quarterback. He's a guy, I think, who says, you could compete to be our starting quarterback. And then he puts him in the spring and, if, and, and the fall, and if, and if Ben Kirk is better, um, then he's better. And if that's, then that's a good thing. If he beats out somebody who has experience, who's played, you know, played college football games, I think that's a good thing. I can't see it as a, as a negative. I, just, I really just can't. I also think that Given what they've done in recruiting uh, elsewhere, right? They've I think they've addressed some some key needs. I mean, they've got a center of the future. They got a couple guards. Um, they've got uh, right now they got one tackle, one um, pr- kind of project tackle. They're in a good spot for Becton. I, I, f- I feel good about where they're going on the offensive line in this class. I think they're they're probably going to get one more transfer um, to go along with Montellus. I hope I said that right. And they're also, you know, they, they've definitely addressed the punter-kicker situation. Um, they brought in two, basically, according to the kicking folks, five-star kicker-punter prospects who both could in a, in do either or. Um, so I think that this is, a, this is the last, you know, important piece. Um, they got to keep recruiting offensive linemen. they got to keep – they got to close out this class well. But, I mean, they got to have a quarterback who is somewhere in the middle of that. And, I mean, I don't know about – anybody else but like i don't i don't think it's a good idea to go out with ben kirk and two dudes who've never played one of whom uh you weren't really sure is even a quarterback you know i think that piece is also important here like we keep talking about this as if they have all these dudes they there's one there's one guy who in 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 Devontae cross who bronco when he talks about him publicly has not seemed too sure that the kid's gonna be a quarterback and if that was a if that if that in of itself that it's a question might be a little bit of a concern and so I almost think it would be um, – I mean, it's prudent for him to do what he's doing. I mean, it would almost be detrimental to not be looking. And ultimately, if they, fi- if they, if they ultimately find, you know what, they, they, get, they get nobody with, who can play right away and guys have to sit and they only have one-year eligibility, like that, 
you know, okay, well, that's a different animal. But what they're looking for makes a lot of sense to me. Um, what else did, did you guys? What else did you kind of glean from that conversation that Bronco had with us last week? What were your, what were some of your takeaways, Dave? When you, because I know you, you, you watched every bit of it. Um, what were some of your takeaways from Bronco's sit down with the media? <laughs> I was gonna, I was hoping you make Ferber talk first so I could figure out a word that one. Um, I, mean, I don't think it's any secret that we were all pretty angry at the end of the season. Um, all fans were pretty angry at the end of the season. Um, and, and I don't think – look, I understand that – I'm kind of going around around the corner here to answer the question, but the – look, you can say, okay, that's an all right decision to bring in transfers and not give up the disappointment you had in the quarterback fiasco at Tech or – the play calling we had towards the end of the year on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, they're two separate things. I expect better, you know, you can, I'm sorry, the quarterback played well, but he didn't play well, but you, you can, <laughs> you know, you don't need to add to that by rotating them every play. So none of feeling okay about the plan that he just talked about with the transfers doesn't give him a pass. Um, and that's kind of what I got reminded watching, you know, remind very much watching him talk it kind of hit me like, yeah, I was pretty angry at the end of the season because I'm a fan. You know, I invested, you know, what, 36 plus hours of watching game plus all the time talking about it, um, you know, for that season only to see two wins. That's disappointing. Um, and look, he talks, he's a smart guy. He understands the problems, understanding a problem and knowing how to fix it in the situation you're in are not the same thing. Um, but I mean, every time he talks, I feel more confident that he he knows the problem. I, I kind of, you know, he even addressed the whole quarterback situation at Tech and how it blew up, um, and, and then kind of mentioned how he'd like to have a dual threat quarterback. So a lot of the concerns that I had were mentioned. Now it's look, we know he's good at talking, and that makes me feel good. But <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm ready for the next step. <laughs> I'm ready for the next yeah. step. It's I'm December. trying to be good at talking too. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I'm ready for the next step. It's December. Um, <laughs> Ferber, what about you? You're you're typically not somebody who buys into um, I don't want to say false narratives. You're not somebody who typically buys into hype. You're not somebody who typically gets swayed too much off the beaten path. What uh, what's what were some of your reactions to last Wednesday's uh, media session? I mean, I think he's pretty realistic about the issues and uh, you know what needs to be done to fix them. Um, I think this season, I said this a couple of weeks ago, but I think this season was probably a good thing in the long run because it doesn't give them any, you know, uh, illusion that it's going to be an easy rebuild. Uh, they kind of had, it seemed like to me, they had a chance to be better this year if things kind of fell into place. But unfortunately, they didn't have the depth at certain positions or talent at some positions to do that. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of clear to them now that it's going to take a, a big effort and you know where they're weak and how they want to manage the roster uh i think has to be a little bit more clear now than it maybe it was before the season started um and from his comments it seems like they have a pretty good handle on it seems like they're like okay you know here's what the problems are um and now it's time to go fix them and obviously like dave said that's the hard part but um you know i i think part of the problem with the previous coaching staff was that it seemed almost like they were under 
the illusion that they were a couple plays away here or there right. um, from being really good. And I think this staff knows that that's probably not the case with this team anyway. Yeah, I've, that's a good point. You know what I was thinking about? I, I, I failed to mention this before. I definitely was thinking about that 2011 team, right? The last time they went to a bowl game. What fool's gold that season was in so many ways, right? Had they come out this year and had a similar type of year where the ball bounced their way a couple times and whatever, and they were able to get through this unscathed, I almost feel like Bronco would be having the same conversation. The sa- he would be talking about some of the same things. It just would be in a different frame and a different tone. Because they would have – let's say, let's say, they, let's say they, they figure out a way to, to beat Richmond, and let's say they, they figure out a way to – you know they get house at Oregon, then they, they, they win that UConn game. Um, then they beat Central Michigan, they beat Pitt, excuse me, they beat um, Duke, and then they come back and they beat Pitt, right? You're talking, that's a different season, but the same issues would be everywhere, right? Maybe you didn't flame out, maybe you didn't end up doing this craziness at Tech where you're playing two quarterbacks for literally no apparent reason, um, or no sane reason, I guess I should say. Like, a lot of the stuff would still be there. Like, you would still be dealing with the same poo-poo platter, right? And so a lot of the stuff I feel like he would still be saying, um, it, it just would be fans would be in a different mindset. And, and you know what? Can't blame you at all. Cannot blame you at all. Be angry. Like, the way that that thing ended, they deserve every bit of vitriol you throw their way. They deserve the doubt. I mean, it was one of the weirdest, dumbest things I've ever seen in sports. And I covered Mike London teams, okay? Like, they were weird. I mean, I've seen 12 men on the field that made more sense than that. And I'm not I'm not just I'm not just saying this because I know y'all hate it. I'm saying it because it's true. And like I, I, I honestly think like as I sat there, I was, you know, he, he does. You're, I, I agree with you guys like it makes he makes so much sense. He clearly uh, was humbled, which is probably a good thing. Let's be honest. Sometimes, you know, you have a lot of success and you just expect success is coming. The one fundamental thing that I just kind of was I don't want to say like taken aback by, but I was very surprised to hear him say is that he entered the program coming off basically year 11 of a successful program and he almost used that as his own launching point of expectations and it it, it's a good point because if you think about coaches who come in and are 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 builders he'd done it one place a place where he had two years of experience going into the head coaching job a place where he had that he had that connection with the school because of his because of his religion and because of obviously his his background he did not have the same types of 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 somewhat uh, let's see what do you call them um, institutional advantages let's let's say he didn't have those at UVA other the only the, the one advantage he had is that he he knows how to win right and so what did he do he tried to he tried to basically push the team in the direction that he thought they needed to go and they did need to go there except they just were nowhere close to being able to be the to do the, the on the field thing. Uh, the execution was just so poor, and yeah. you know I don't. And, and I know a lot of people on the board have taken some of his comments to mean like he's throwing players on the bus. I don't think he's throwing players on the bus. I think he's being honest that he screwed up because he thought that they that they could do it one way and they can't do it that way. Um, and 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 honestly, like for him to say, yeah, we didn't do this right. We should have done it differently. Um, I, I think that's a good sign for year two because you, the last thing you want to hear is like, yep. You know what? Like you said, we we're a couple plays away. You know, we're a couple plays away. You know, we, we you know we win that we we kick that field goal against UConn and think no, like you're not a couple plays away. Like you got beat like by your biggest rival 
you got pantsed by your biggest rival again. And I, gr- I understand this is your first time in it, but, like, there's a lot of problems. I'm glad that you know, it makes sense to me that, that they've kind of had the, the kind of, for lack of a better description, come to Jesus situation that they've got. But the worst thing that could have happened for them, I think, would be for them to have, like, had this fool's gold success because then the program would have been doomed much the same way the previous one was before him. I would like to be having that discussion. <laughs> it would be it, <laughs> was this fool's gold. It would be nice if um, we, were, we were doing a podcast tonight because I was getting ready to leave for a bowl game, right? Um, yeah, I mean it would. I mean, I know Bronco didn't mention it. In, at least I didn't see him mention it in that interview. I assume your videos that were the most comprehensive I saw. Good work there, Brad. Thank you very much. Um, I really think they underestimated the talent in the ACC, um, and I don't. I don't remember him addressing that directly he but said I, I, something to the effect of to be we we he did mention at some point we we know now the the talent level of the acc and he mentioned something along the lines of uh uh to improve enough we, to be able to be a team that can compete in the acc i, I you know what yeah. i think i almost don't i don't think he underestimated the talent i honestly i think he underestimated the coaching i think he he thought that he was on par with these guys and that that was going to that like his his staff's experience and their and their uh, success, right? Was they were going to come in here and they were going to be able to to replicate it. But what they didn't factor in was that not only was a lot of these rosters more talented, but they're also really good, really well coached. Um, yeah. So go yeah, that's kind of my point. I mean, the, like you look at, I know what is it, six or seven years that BYU was independent towards the end. I mean, I think it's first. Not, four not or five. even that many. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, they were independent for several, you know, a few years at least at the end there. And that's a huge advantage. I mean, most of your opponents, they might play you in a home-and-home, home, but they don't have four years plus of knowledge with you. And that's something, you know, I look, I predicted Virginia would go eight and four, so obviously I didn't see it coming. Um, so, you know, having a, a program that, <laughs> that plays you every year and has multiple years of tape. Not only doesn't matter if you change your tendencies, they but know also, what pieces are running it. Maybe lot, more than you do. A lot of these same schools recruited these same players. So not only do they yeah. have experience having played them, they know who they are. Like they know who Taquan Mizell is. They know who Quinn Blanding is. They know who those kids are. Bronco didn't know who those kids were. You feel me? Like that's a that's a very yeah, yeah. kind of you know realistic approach. Yeah. And I think not, Dave's onto something though with the yeah. I think the talent level thing might have been a because they might have played a few ACC teams here and there, but they weren't top level ACC. They played Georgia Tech a couple of times. Georgia Tech wasn't that good. They played this Virginia. Year. They played UVA a couple of times. <laughs> and I think honestly, they were probably like, well, we competed in a very competitive Mountain West conference, which is a good league, um, but they don't have the quality of athletes. Um, across and, the board. That's a good point. And at the same time, be up for that every week, you know, right. in the ACC. Right. And and at the same time, right, they were they were they were they came in and immediately were like, "Whoa, look at all these athletes we got now." Right? And yeah. I almost feel like in hindsight, maybe that should have been like a, "Hey man, you know, that should have been a tap on the shoulder, but like reality's here. Like if the guys that you inherited for the coach who just got fired, because he haven't been to a bowl game in five years, is a step up so much in so many different ways to the talent you had at your old spot where you were madly successful. Maybe your expectations should kind of be, you know, recalibrated a touch. Um, and honestly, just hearing myself say that, I am now really kicking myself for not having said that in August. Because, <laughs> like, it makes a That's lot. That's a story for the last five years. Seriously. At least I didn't predict him to go eight and four. Um, <laughs> 
so yeah, I kind of I, I agree with you guys. The other thing that I want to touch on before we move to hoops, like, <laughs> I I don't think that any team is as bad as their worst moments, and I don't think they're nearly as good as their best. I I, I subscribe to the Tony Bennett belief that the truth is somewhere in the middle, and it, but it's gonna be real hard for me, real real hard for me to get that fifty-two to ten game out of my out of my out of my palate. Like when I think about Virginia, when we come, when it, it becomes preseason awesomeness. Nope, I'm telling you, like it's just not gonna matter. Like when I'm in spring ball and I'm watching these kids, it's just not gonna matter. Like that fifty-two to ten, the way it, I mean, it was just domination in every way, shape, and form. And I don't know about you guys, but I kind of feel like. I am definitely in a show me situation. Like we're we're gonna have to watch this team do well repeatedly before I start to to think that like they're gonna do well again. I mean, I, Ferber is in charge of preview, so he's the one who gets to pick the games. But like me, when it comes to podcasts and stuff, nope. I'm, I'm sorry, and like I'm not. I don't mean to be mean. I'm just saying like what Bronco told David Hale from the uh, from ESPN.com. Like he wants to to earn everybody's you know every fan to come back to Scott Stadium. I mean, I I look at it standpoint. I'm like, yeah, because like I'm gonna have to see this team be successful before I expect this team to be successful, and I kind of think I I think the vast majority of the people on my website feel very much the same way. Um, let's jump over to hoops real quick because I do want to get into a couple things on, on the basketball team. So Virginia loses to West Virginia, takes it, uh, gets back, beats at ECU, takes the exam break, comes back, starts slow against Robert Morris, and then beats the brakes off of them uh, as as expected. Uh, going to Cal tomorrow night, um, where do you feel like the team is right now? Um, and since I kind of just tossed it out there, I'll go first. I think Virginia's in a good spot. I don't think they're in a very good spot, nor a great spot. I- I'm still concerned about the slow starts because a team that can create second-chance points like like this one can because of Yvonne Robb in the middle and clearly going forward in the ACC, I- I'm a little bit worried about that. Uh, I still think that they're at times too unselfish and that unless they can be aggressive, they're going to be in some trouble. But at the same time, I, I've seen some improvement. I, I like what I, I liked what Jack Salt and Devin Hall did in that game. I, I liked the way that they responded as a team in that game. I thought that the um, the ability to continue to grind even when you're not having a good night is a, is always an important quality. Um and I thought they did a good job of that. I thought they brought energy when they needed it and certainly were able to get a win. Um, what are you guys feeling going into this Cal game? Uh, Dave, we'll start with you. What's your general vibe about this team going forward? I mean, uncertainty is still there. I mean, it, it is definitely yeah, – none of the questions have been answered with the teams we've played since West Virginia, that's for sure. Um, you know, it, it's a game that – you know, it's a really tough game. Not many team, not many teams go and play a game like this. You know, um, Cal's a good team. They're top ten in you know, the Ken Palm defensive rating. So, you know, with, with an offense that that tends to struggle at times, especially early, um, you know, going against a, I, I believe this is the second best defense we've played all year. <laughs> I guess it kind of has to be. Um, I mean. The one thing the team has going for it is that, look, London Perante's kind of stirs the drink, and this is his homecoming. So, like, if there was a DraftKings or FanDuel for college basketball, I'd be starting LP tomorrow night. I mean, 
I expect him to try to put on a show for his hometown, um, you know, for his home state. So, you know, that, that gives me, it's a little different than if we're going to play, say Stanford or something, you know, or another West coast team, Oregon. Um, but Cal is really good and they can, they, they are good in, in, in places where we've been weak. So we'll see. I'm going to look, I think it's, it's a great game. It's another great challenge. Um, look at this point in my fandom, it, you know, it's, it's, we've talked about it multiple times. It's, I'm worried about March and, you know, this game is going to help us get better one way or the other. Ferber, what about you? What are your, what are your general vibes about this team? I, I know you're per, per currently writing that preview, but what are, you, what are your current vibes about this team? Maybe beyond a little bit of, uh, of just this game, but in terms of where they are right now coming out of the exam break and the win over Robert Morris, where, how do you feel like, uh, how do you feel like this team is, is coalescing right now? Uh, I'm not going to take a lot of, from that game, you know, um, Robert Morris is overmatched. So I, I think despite the loss to West, I think that Ohio State, West Virginia stretch probably could serve to wake them up a little bit. Um, honestly, I think that tomorrow night's going to be a challenge. And if they can meet that challenge, then um, especially on, in the, on the road, you know, it's a long trip. Um, I guess it's a homecoming for Mount, London Parantis. He's about 400 miles away from his home. Um, but California's a big state. Yeah. Um, as long as he thinks it is. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, whatever, whatever's going on in his head, for sure. Um, but, I mean, obviously, these, these are the kind of games you have to be able to win to win in the ACC. And, I mean, they're going to be playing Louisville in a week. So, uh, I mean, life comes at you fast in uh, college basketball before you know it. You know, it's the middle of the conference play. So, um, I'd say cautiously optimistic is how I would put it. Um I, I mean, I still obviously have faith that they're going to be good. Um, I don't know how it, – it's going to come down to how consistent they can be on offense, I think, because the defense will be there. The defense travels in basketball um, for the most part. So I think it's going to come down to how can they avoid these lapses that they seem to have on the offensive end where they just can't get anything going for a little bit of – I mean, even against Robert Morris, that first 10 minutes was rough. Um so I think that they're going to have to be more consistent. And if that means, you know, changing up the rotation or trying to figure out some different things they can run on the, on the court, I mean, we'll see. But um, I think we'll learn a lot over the next week for sure. Yeah, I'd agree with that. The two things I want to hit on. One, I mentioned this in, on Monday in my column, but, like, they went on an 11-day break. They played a game. They had to wait a few days. And they're going to go to California play a game, and they're not going to play for a week. You got to be able to play regardless of whether or not you've played in a while, right? That's that that's something I think that Tony can really come out of that Robert Morris game and say, "Listen, you might have been off for a while, but you got to still bring the energy. And you got to be dialed in from the jump because a lot of these teams in the ACC will jump on you." Two, um, I actually don't think they need to make any changes to the rotation. I think what they need to do is stay doing exactly what they've been doing because I think one of the problems with this team is that there is no alpha. Okay, Tony has said it like. 10 times. How many games have they played? 10. Good. Okay. He said a bunch of times that they're an unselfish, balanced, you know, kind of team. That they're going to have to do it that way. They're not going to be able to just say, oh, uh, well, Malcolm's going to go get me 20. The problem that I, I saw at the beginning of the Robert Morris game, and I'm not doing a rewatch because it was Robert Morris, but the problem I saw was they were running offense. They were running those, those, um, the screens and where basically the, the screener 
throws the ball over the top, kind of floats it over. Like, that's the Malcolm Brogdon offense because Brogdon could catch that and do something with it. These guys are, are not that, okay? What they did was they, 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 they started to be more aggressive. They weren't just tossing it around the, the, the perimeter. They were actually trying to get pain touches, going inside, trying to drive a little bit. Uh, getting guys uh, off of those uh, back cuts. And, and you, I think they really did a good job of utilizing various talents while also being true to who they were. Like, they weren't doing anything outside. Like, when, when Devin Hall scores 11 of the 20 points in that 20-5 to five run, like, he's just being himself. Now, the one circus shot that Thompson hit, yeah, that's, that, that's garbage. But everything else was earned. And I thought that they did a great job of kind of be, being tr- more true to who they are and I think that's something they're going to have to do going forward. So I think the rotation, they're so unselfish that they need to play with the same guys. Like, they need to, they need to be – like, those guys need to be around each other, all right, because different pieces fit different ways. And, yeah, it's great to have versatile guys who can do a lot of different things and you can, you know, have a bunch of combinations. But at some level, basketball is a game of five dudes. And I'm not saying you got to have the play the same five dudes. I'm just saying when guys come in the game, they need to have some familiarity with the dudes they're playing with. And so rotation-wise, giving them those minutes and, 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 and kind of balancing things the way they have, that should, they should consistently get that. Um, and so where, where guys want – something Todd Jerome said to me in that video interview, he was talking about how Jared Reuter likes to have the ball in a certain place. So he doesn't even, he's played enough with Jared now. He doesn't even need to look for Jared. He knows where Jared's going to be regardless. He doesn't even have to look for it. Like every guy, it needs to have that type of feel with the other players around them. Not necessarily, they're not going to know the ins and outs of like where the guy likes the ball, but you know what? It wouldn't be a bad thing to know, hey, when I throw this pass to Darius, he likes to catch it here. And I got to be, and I got to put it there. Um, and those kinds of little intricacies, that's what makes good teams good, that they just fit well together and that it's a cohesive kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I, I don't expect a big change in the rotation. Um, you know, as I was kind of thinking about the first half of the, or the first third of the season, I guess it's been, um, I mean, I, I think it's pretty clear. We're never, we're not going to have a dominant low post score in the mold of Anthony Gill and Mike Toby, or, um, yeah, I guess those are the two big ones. <laughs> we're not mentioning the other name. Um, and you know, we don't have, we don't have a consistent player like, you know, a guy who's getting ready to get his his raft, his jersey hung in the rafters, um, or, or or Justin or Joe, you know, and that, that guy might emerge as the season goes on, but he doesn't exist now. But as much as we talk about this team and the deficiencies, they most seem to be related to the offense. So the rotation we're playing now is still playing pretty good defense. So we know Tony, and I think he's going to continue to play that. Um, so I mean, this, it's my guess is as the season winds on, it's going to be really weird. We'll probably blow out a couple teams you think are going to be close games. You'll probably have some close games that shouldn't be, um, just because of the inconsistent. When you don't have a a true low plus scoring threat or a yeah, well, you're going to see that without that anyway. But um, I mean, I think as a fan watching the games, um, second half London, I really like him shooting the three. I feel like they're going to go in. But to me, I mean, the only person who shoots the ball and every time I think is going to score is Kyle. So, yeah, I, this team is going to be based on defense, and the defense is going to take them where they go. Um, I don't think that's anything new for Virginia, but, you know, it's a really tough stretch coming up. Um, I, I do think the advantage we have with the depth we have is the week we have now between 
the cap after tomorrow night's game against Cal and the Louisville game. It's, you know, no exams. The, the kids are out of school. They can focus. They can play ball. We can run some pretty good scrimmages. So that is a <laughs> upside of the depth we have. Um, but man, it's a brutal few, few games, which will tell us a lot about the season. But just because of that, I don't think you're going to see a change in the rotation at all. Well, I think that's a that's a good place to to sort of put a pin in it. Ferber is I I can feel it is dutifully working on that preview over there. So uh, I'm guessing he 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 has no other commentary for the uh, for the good of the order. No, not really. Um, anything I, I feel like if I say anything about the Cal game, it's just going to be uh, outdated in 24 hours. So it's kind of <laughs> like I'll just let it let it sit for now. One one quick question before you go. I want to like a one or two word answer. Uh, in the ACC, team you're most worried about is Dave. Louisville. Oh, okay. Uh, is that because they open with Louisville, or you really think Louisville is that good? That's some of them. I mean, I just think Louisville is one of the few teams that can match right intensity. Oh, okay, okay, I got you. Fans. I got you. Okay. Yeah. Ferber, what about you? Uh, in the ACC, one team that you're worried about is. Hmm. I'm gonna say North Carolina. Yeah. I w- I was leaning that, that way could, too. I was very, very impressed with them on Saturday. Even, I mean, obviously it was a high-scoring game, but if you can score like that, you can score like that against UVA. I oh think. my gosh! I mean, you're not going to score 100, but can we? Louisville's favorite over Kentucky tomorrow. Can we? Can we just talk about this real quick? George Adiosen, uh former uh, offensive lineman, um, tweeted the greatest tweet ever uh, that night. He because Malik Monk went for 47 for Kentucky against Carolina. And and George tweeted and to, and I'm gonna I'm not gonna quote it verbatim, but he said that if somebody went for 47, JPJ would collapse. And I have never seen a more uh, apt description. Like it really would. I mean, the place would just explode. Um, I want now that makes me wonder who 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 scored the most points. I, I feel like it was probably Kay Felder, because um, that dude went to eat that night. Uh, Against Sony. Yeah, I I feel like. Um, I still, I still have no idea what to expect from Duke, and that scares me a little bit because I had a feeling they were going to be really good, and then they weren't. But now I'm worried that like they're going to get, they're going to get really good at the wrong time, you know. I mean, I watched them a little bit last night against Tennessee State, and I mean, look, I don't care if they have a bunch of lottery kids that are or aren't playing. Luke Kennard is a beast. Um, that one's going to be fun to watch. But I agree, Carolina's probably the team just because. When when they when they're when they've got it figured out they're they're scary. Um, my brother-in-law, huge Carolina fan, can't stand Kennedy Meeks beyond his wild uh, like he just cannot cannot take the kid. Um, and so his his <laughs> I think in his perfect world, Kennedy Meeks uh, uh, either develops into somebody he's not, or other guys just pass him, and Kennedy Meeks has to watch woefully from the bench. But they have so much talent that Kendall Me- Kennedy Meeks watching woefully from the bench doesn't seem like it's that far fetched. And that's probably uh, not a good sign. So I kind of think Carolina, too. I, what I saw of them against Kentucky, I was impressed with, too. Um, but, yeah, want to thank uh, everybody out there for giving us a listen. want to thank uh, Dave and Justin for being back on the show, as always. Uh, not sure about next week uh, if we will or won't have a podcast. I, I, I know folks have some stuff going on, so we'll, we'll, we'll touch base on that. But, anyway, once again, uh, Merry Christmas to all those who celebrated. Happy holidays to everybody else. For David Spence, for Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorn.com. Thanks for coming out, and we will see you soon.